welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello and thank you for joining us today. Today we have a very special and intriguing topic. We'll talk about peak performance. And for that, we have a very special guest, who is Diane Allen. Diane is a speaking coach who specializes in peak performance. She inspires people to speak out and step into their full potential. A professional violinist turned speaker, author, and speaking coach, Diane's professional violin career featured performances on stages in front of thousands. That experience provided the atmosphere for her to hone the techniques necessary for mastering performance under intense pressure. Hello, Diane. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Happy to have you here, Diane. Diane, could you start telling us, as you started as a violinist, as far as I understand, how do you mm -hmm. end up a speaker? Well, it's a very interesting journey. I had, as a violin player, I had a lot of students and I was teaching one-on-one -on -one as well as uh, group classes. And I would also produce concerts where I would always speak. So I have been speaking in public for a very long time, but I never had any training. And when YouTube was in its infancy, I was very taken with the, the idea that I could make violin tutorials for students and what a powerful vehicle YouTube was. So I made some videos of myself and very quickly learned that I needed some help with my speaking. <laughs> it wasn't until I saw myself on video. And that's when I turned to Toastmasters. And it was very rewarding because what I would do is I would use a project that I wanted to make a video, a, per, a certain topic or a certain tutorial that I wanted to make a video. I would use one of the Toastmaster projects, practice it at my Toastmasters club, and then I would zip home, have the camera set up, and I would make the video right away. So that is how uh, my public speaking started my training anyways. And then what happened was while I was training through Toastmasters, the other people who started Toastmasters when I did, they kept scratching their heads and saying, Diane, what do you have that we don't have? You are so much more comfortable than we are on stage. And it was because of all of my stage time as a violinist. And they started asking me for tips What was I doing? How was I so comfortable on stage so quickly? And what could I share with them? And that's basically how a speaking coach was born, was in helping my fellow Toastmasters. Very interesting journey. You started in YouTube, then, mm -hmm. vi then via Toastmaster, you, uh, yeah, you start speaking in public, and then by helping others with your experience on many hours, many I don't know how many hours on stage you, you were before, before joining Toastmaster and now becoming coach. If you can think of when you started as a speaker, have you tagged any stage fright moment? 
Well, it's actually funny that you ask that question because as a public speaker, I have never, ever had stage fright. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen earlier. When I was a violinist, I had 15 years of very intensive training behind me. I went to some of the top teachers who studied, who, uh, excuse me, who performed in some of the top orchestras in the United States. I also went to the Manhattan School of Music in the heart of New York City. I did the really hardcore cutthroat violin training. <laughs> and when that was all complete, what there was for me to do was to go to auditions, to audition to be in an orchestra. And even though I had all of this training and all of this skill level and, and passion, everything was there. I would go to these auditions and in that very narrow window of time, when you had to show yourself, you had to show your highest skill level, your highest emotional output, I would completely crumble. Audition after audition, I would fall apart. It was really heartbreaking because... I, like I said, I had 15 years invested in this moment, uh, getting myself into an orchestra. That was where I wanted to be. And I was an unable to because I could not maintain my composure in the heat of the moment. As you can imagine, mm -hmm. I had to uh, go to plan B. It was that bad. I, I wasn't unable to get work. I started teaching. I started playing in some very low-paying jobs, uh, low-paying orchestra jobs, some side jobs, playing in restaurants. It was it was degrading because I had so much training and so much skill level. So you know the reason why I want to point this out is that I had. It's not that I wasn't a confident person. It was just how can I be confident in the circumstances that I needed to get the job of my dreams. It took me about 10 years to find a system to climb out of that uh, where I would fall apart when all eyes were on me and when I needed, you know, like I said, most need to shine. And after those 10 years, I actually became the concertmaster of an orchestra, which is the lead violin player. Awesome. And I had that role for 15 years. And that role is interesting because it's, it's second command to the conductor. And everybody behind me is watching. I like to think of an image of dominoes. You know, when you push one over, everyone else, all the other dominoes fall. And it was very similar. If I faltered in that role of uh, being the lead violin player, everyone behind me, it would, it would just kind of send a little ripple of, of lack of confidence behind me. So once I attained that role, then every moment that I was in that arena, I had to be at the top of my game. And because of those 10 years of intense uh, in inquiry, I guess is what you'd say, as how to be. In your peak, how can you turn it on so it's reliable? How can you be at your peak without uh, feeling like you're a victim of circumstance, like you're in control, you can command yourself? How? What are the steps to doing that? And that's what I found in that process, and that's now what I implement and teach others. 
what an inspiring story you have actually. So you didn't have the stage fright in public speaking, but in in music, even though you have a lot of training already, you were already prepared. And finally, you were the one who shakes hands, right? At the end of the concerts. <laughs> <laughs> also the one who walks out on stage, tunes the orchestra. <laughs> and uh, there, was, there was a lot of uh, protocol. Uh, the orchestra, if I stood up, then everybody else in the orchestra would stand up to receive the applause. If I sat down, everybody else would have to sit down. You know, it's, it's basically, there was a, a lot of... Um, formalities that I had to lead as well as uh, play solos. I, there was a mm. lot, there's a lot of orchestral music that features the lead violin player. That's awesome. Now I'm really interested to know what do you do in these 10 years? And that comes to the main question here. What is peak performance? That's a great question. What is peak performance? I think I'd like to go to the extreme opposite which is, in this case, since we're talking about speaking, it would be extreme fear of public speaking. So, you know, when you have polar opposites, um, they are, the, the whole spectrum is always in existence. So for, what I mean is, is that if you have complete, uh, deathly fear of public speaking, there also exists the opportunity to have complete love and joy of public speaking. And not only that, but to, uh, while extreme fear of public speaking would mean that you would grossly underperform on your own potential at the opposite extreme, it would be that you can actually exceed your potential. Potential that you always thought you had, you actually exceeded that for a personal best. So it's where you could be anywhere on that spectrum at any time. You could be anywhere on that spectrum with different uh, activities in your life. So, for example, one person might love speaking in front of large audiences, but not be comfortable one-on-one, -on -one, and vice versa. One person might love one-on-one, -on -one, but forget putting them in front of a large audience because um, they would, like I mentioned before, that, that, that spectrum, where are they? You know, they might be at their peak, fully in their, uh, fulfilling their potential one-on-one, -on -one, but put them in front of a large audience, they underperform on their potential. Yes, and I'm thinking if this is peak performance, being trained for peak performance, is, is important for everybody? I think so. I, I think, you know, I think because of the violin, the violin was so, it's such an... Uh, a precise instrument and you have to have um, such command over yourself that it's really highlighted the importance of, for me, it's really highlighted the importance of what does it take to get yourself in a peak state? And uh, so I, um, so why is that important for everybody? Well, I feel like we're all here to uh, self, you know, self-actualize, you know, why, Why go to our grave not being fully tapped out and used? So uh, watching yourself in situations when you know you can do better, it can be incredibly frustrating to you. And you might wonder, what are those steps? How can I bridge this gap? I know I could be doing better. So you know, that's, that's why I think it's important so people don't let themselves down. They feel like they could be in charge and, and 
fulfill on what they know they can be doing. Yes, everybody has a great potential at something. And what are the main benefits of being trained in peak performance? The main benefits, I guess I would say that you know you can go any, anywhere, anytime, and stand in your power. How you know how to stand in your power is you actually have to kind of pull back and define what that is. What is your power. So for example, I like to use uh, cooking as an example, because there are so many people who are passionate about cooking. And if you ask my dad, why are you passionate about cooking? He'll say, well, it's because I pour my love into the food that I make, and then I feed it to the people I love. So it's all about love. And if you ask my friend Layla, Why is she so passionate about cooking? She has a completely different reason. Uh, she educates people in healthy eating practices through her passion of cooking. So for her, it's being in her mentorship spirit, her passion. Two complete, you know, it's the same passion, cooking, but two completely different reasons. So when you identify your reason and you know what that reason is that makes it possible for you to stand in your power. And I suspect, Oscar, that you have a deep passion yourself for serving others about communicating. There's something there for you that, that really pulls you forward to make these podcasts and to explore this arena of public speaking. The next benefit is having unshakable confidence which basically means you're not left to being a victim of the circumstance. You know, maybe there's somebody in the room that's very important to you. You want to make a good impression. It's maybe a meeting and there's a few people there you're comfortable with. And then there's this one person that you would love to, you know, make a great impression. You might be more self-conscious in that arena. Well, how do you have that unshakable confidence? There's two uh, pieces of, in the curriculum that I teach about this. Uh, practicing. So, for example, Oscar, you put yourself in practice all the time with speaking. You make these podcasts. You speak in Toastmasters. Uh, you're always in the act of practice. The other thing uh, with regards to unshakable confidence is there's a set of exercises that actually, now we're going to speak more specifically to the fight-or-flight response, but um, the, the fight-or-flight response, I'm going to have to sidetrack for a second, the fight-or-flight response is those physical things that happen to people that they just don't like. Maybe it's that bead of sweat rolling down their brow. Maybe it's the butterflies in their stomach or the knocking knees. This is your fight-or-flight response being triggered. Maybe it's your heart races more when you're in front of people. And this can, be, this can be debilitating, which was the case, my case, when I was in my audition phase for orchestras. It was debilitating. And it can distract you. It can derail you. It could prevent you. These kinds of symptoms can prevent you from actually reaching out into uh, arenas that you would love to, but 
it's too embarrassing because of these physical symptoms. So there are physical actions that release the fight or flight response. And uh, when I work with people one-on-one, I go in depth, we figure out which of those physical trigger points can release the fight or flight response. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have power over you, you have power over it. And then the last benefit is having unwavering focus, which basically means the opposite of focus. It means that you're, you're able to masterfully deal with distractions. And when you can deal with distractions in a masterful way, uh, it gives you that unwavering focus. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the last one you say is so important in, in everything, the focus. No? It's so easy to be distracted nowadays. Mm. Diane, could you tell us what is your favorite quotation? Oh, my goodness. My favorite quote. Uh, I had, uh, it's actually interesting because I had used this quote for one of my Toastmaster speeches. And when I looked up the quote, I could not identify who actually stated the quote because it's Mm -hmm. attributed to so many different people. (laughs) But it is a ship is safe in harbor, but that is not what ships were made for. And I think this really speaks to my love of peak performance. Let's get you away from being parked at the harbor. Let's get you out on the sea. Uh, Enjoy the journey so that you can learn, such as what you're doing here with your podcasting experience, throwing yourself in the ring. I'm going to make these podcasts and then learning along the way. Well, excellent quotation. Never heard about that, but yes. (laughs) Now, could you recommend us one book that has inspired you? You think is a good read for our listeners? Well, you know, Oscar, I cannot recommend one book. I can recommend two. <laughs> yes. And I think um, I picked these books out because I don't think they're uh, books that people are very familiar with. I think they were very popular in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. It speaks to my journey when I was trying to figure out how to achieve mastery in intense uh, situations. And so the first book is called Zen in the Art of Archery, and it's by a man named Eugene Harrigal. His last name is spelled H-E-R-R-I-G-E-L. And this particular book, because uh, the times when I was really examining peak performance, there wasn't a lot, there were not a lot of resources. There were not a lot of people who were coaching yet. Coaching was a new concept back in the 1980s. And this book specifically spoke to how to streamline your physical experience in any activity such as sports or playing an instrument so this one's great if you play golf if you play an instrument if you want to improve your basketball game skiing uh ice skating whatever it is for you a physical activity this is a gem of a book that really speaks to how to align your thoughts so that your body can actually achieve its peak the second book also very dated uh it's this style of book is uh you don't see this style book anymore it's called the inner game of tennis timothy galway g-a-l-l-w-e-y and what timothy did was he took a microscope to the internal conversations in your head and because 
one of the main distractions people have when they're speaking in public is their own internal conversation. So you have two conversations going on, the one outward to the public and the one inside your own head. This, if that's a problem for you, read this book. Uh, because this book really goes in depth on how to iron that out. And I have to attribute this book uh, because I, my mind is very quiet. When I'm in front of an audience, you would, it's, it's very quiet. My inner voices are just gone and I'm just immersed in the activity. And that's a huge way of streamlining and being masterful at dealing with distractions, which is what we talked about earlier, how to have unwavering focus. So those are the two books. Yeah, I have heard about this second book, the Tim Galloway's book, yes. And mm. now, now there is also, he co-authored uh, The Inner Game of Music, I think. And that was written by a different author, but used uh, Timothy Galloway's techniques. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. I actually preferred The Inner Game of Tennis over The Inner Game of Music because it was the, the author himself with his own ideas. Sure, sure. And it's the very first book, book of this. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for the recommendations and all these are going to be available on the show notes of the of this episode. So you can go to timetoshinepodcast.com and you find these, these books. And finally, Diane, asking you something more practical. We, we always ask to every guests a routine to shine something practical that you recommend us to do it daily or weekly to shine as a speaker what can you tell us what i can tell you is that it's all about the routine everything that i do everything that i give others is how to develop your routine so that you know you can reliably duplicate getting into your peak zone. This is the key. Your routine really is the key. And what I, I'm going to have to, um, I've got so much I want to say about this, but let me give you an example of something I would do for myself. And then I'm going to give you an example of how it fell apart. So for me, I would uh, start uh, any, anything I'm doing in public is very well rehearsed. And I think that people are afraid that if it's over rehearsed, it is going to sound canned. And it is the exact opposite. It, the, um, the book, The Outliers, it's another one. It takes a human 10,000 hours of practice to achieve mastery. The more you rehearse something, the more at ease you will actually come across. So, uh, for example, I would take 100 pennies, I would practice a piece of music, a portion of the music, move a penny over. I would practice that same portion of music, move a penny over, until those hundred pennies were moved from one jar to the other. So practical steps, practice, practice, practice. Another practical step would be for me to deal with my own physical release. So I would, uh, for me, I would do something relaxing. Maybe it's a hot bath. Or, and I should say, and do something that gets the blood flow in your body, something mildly aerobic. For Some people have to do the 10-mile jog. For me, it's a brisk walk outside. So I have uh, practice behind me. I have my physical release by 
doing something relaxing as well as doing something that's going to be invigorating. And then in the heat of the moment, I am still doing my routine. I am living out the seed of my passion. I share. That's really me in a nutshell. I share. It's through my speaking. It's through my teaching. It's through my performing. I share. Uh, When I'm in that act of sharing, just like a Shakespearean actor would be in their role, I pour it on. I really do. So it's being in the act of your passion. And then also in the heat of the moment, I am dealing with distractions. I'm acknowledging them and releasing them, acknowledging them and releasing them. So that's a a sample of the practical steps that I do. Now, how did I discover that I had a routine of practical steps was after years and years and years of stellar performing uh, in front of audiences as large as 1,200 we, uh, my friends and I did a small outreach concert where I decided to combine my love of music, of performing music and speaking. This is the first time I had done the two at back to back. So I walked out on stage, gave the pre-concert lecture, had the audience in the palm of my hand. It was a fantastic Toastmaster moment. They just, um, they were they were with me. They were laughing with me. They were <laughs> making facial expressions. It was great. And then I turned around, sat down, gave a cue for the music to start, and I was completely frozen. Every single joint in my arms was locked. I couldn't move. And it was incredibly embarrassing. I made my way through the concert, and uh, as you can tell, it wasn't the best concert. And this was only... Uh, just a few short years ago when this happened. And this was my huge wake-up call to say, okay, let's identify what are my steps? What, what is my routine? What do I do that I have relied on that I have at this concert taken for granted? And so what happened, I'll tell you what the faulty point was. I practiced my music. I practiced my speaking. I did not practice putting the two back to back. And because I didn't practice that, and I did that in front of an audience, I learned the hard way and the embarrassing way that I needed a transition between the two different activities. That was it in a nutshell. And had I practiced that, I would not have had that horrible experience. (laughs) And then the other thing was, is because I had not fully identified my reason for being in front of audiences, I couldn't pull it out of myself. I didn't know how to salvage the concert. So uh, long story short, know your reason, have practice behind you, deal with your body and deal with the distractions. And that's, that's mostly what I do with people when I work with them one-on-one is really help them get into that masterful state of all of those pieces and help them find their best routine that they know when they do that routine, they are going to rock whatever <laughs> they have coming up for them. Oh, excellent. So everybody has to find their own routine. Diane has really has been very inspiring talking with you. Beautiful story and very inspiring story from you and a lot of excellent piece of advice. I'm sure all our listeners will have a lot of takeaway from this conversation. Could you finally tell us how listeners can learn more about you, follow you? You know, I would like to invite listeners Mm -hmm. to 
meet with me. And what I outlined today is a drop in the bucket of what I have to offer. Uh, Like we said earlier, helping people bridge that gap to what they know they can be doing, to what they are doing now, um, is is that path. If that's, a, if that's just frustrating you, this is the arena that I can help you. So all you have to do is schedule a time to talk with me. And you can do it, if you're in the States, you can do it over the phone. And if you're not in the States, we'll use Skype. So all you have to do is go to this URL. It's www.skype.com meetwithdianeallen.com, and I'll spell that out, www.meetwithdianeallen.com. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Diane, for, <coughs> for sharing this uh, unique opportunity for anybody on the audience to talk with you. And I'm sure many, many will do it. And thanks a lot again. All the best and we'll be, we'll be in touch. I, I talk so much today and now I have a tickle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Oscar. I appreciate the opportunity. And I really welcome meeting all of you. Meet with com. Thanks a lot, Diane. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website, www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.